Anyway, Genesis chapter 11. Uh, look at the first nine verses, if we could, please. The Bible says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. It came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. They said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. Let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. The Lord said, Behold, peoples one, they have all one language. This they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth. They left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. I titled the message tonight, I thought it would just be appropriate to put it this way, and I think you'll get the understanding here, the first United Nations, right here, Genesis chapter 11. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, pray that you'd help us as we delve into thy word tonight. We've gone through this study this year, these first 11 chapters of Genesis. Tonight we conclude this study. I thank you, Lord, for what you've been able to teach us, how you've been able to help us in such tremendous ways. Guide us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. About 130 years ago, a man by the name of Daniel Burnham laid out the plans that we now see for the modern city of Chicago. The beauty of all its lakefront, uh, the green spaces, the bike trails, the beaches, all reflect the vision that this man had for this particular city. He actually summed up his philosophy as he began reflecting on what he wanted to do for Chicago, and he really got to some other cities and did some tremendous things. But it was two famous sentences that he said. He said these words, Make no small plans. They have no power to stir men's blood. When I think about that statement, now, those of you that are familiar with Chicago, I know the Zaruses are from that area, actually ministered in there for a long time. Some of you are from there. And there's a lot to that city, the third most populated city in America, many different parks, that whole lakefront area, just a beautiful But this man dreamed big and look at what transpired. This is often what I'm reminded of as we come to this final message in this series. But sadly, this is not and should not be the central theme of the story. When we read the Tower of Babel, we just think of man's accomplishment. But ultimately, what have we been doing in the book of Genesis? We've actually been looking at the origin of everything, the beginning, because that's what the word Genesis, marriage, what God has established in the beginning about race, about gender, about raising the family, and all of these subjects. And tonight, we are reflecting not so much on a tower that was built, but we are reflecting on the fact of the origin of languages and nations. By way of introduction tonight, there's two things that I want to grab your attention before we get into the thrust of the message. Number one, there has to be some clarification on how we view chapters 10 and 11. I want you to look at verse number one of chapter 11 and note this. The Bible says, and the whole earth was of one language. But if you read chapter 10, that doesn't seem to jive with what we've just read here in chapter 11, verse 1. 
Because look, if you will, at verse number 5. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands. Everyone after his tongue, after their families and their nations. These are the sons of uh, Japheth. Look at verse number 20. These are the sons of Ham, after their families, after their tongues. Look at verse 31, talking about the sons of Shem, after their families, after their tongues. So we look at it and we say, now hold on just a second. It's saying in chapter 10 that there's these various languages here, but now we come to chapter 11 and it says there's just one language. Is there a contradiction in the Bible? Well, I want to tell you there's no contradictions in the Bible. The Bible, from time to time, as you read from chapter to chapter, here's what God does. God will give you information and then He'll recap what you've just read. When you're reading the Scriptures, it's not always organized chronologically. That's not the way the Bible's been set out, not to be organized chronologically. But sometimes it goes backward in time to emphasize a particular aspect or a particular theme in the historical development. So what do we see right here in chapters 10 and 11? Well, in chapter 10, it tells us about the dispersion of the people Chapter 11 tells us why the dispersion took place. Now, I'm not going to go in any further just because of time on that. I've got another half a page of notes, and I'm I'm going to skip over that, aren't you? Are we good? All right. So now, second thing I want you to get by way of introduction, and that is it's important to get an overview of what we see here. Let me walk through these verses. I'm not going to put them on the screen, but let me give you my outline, and then we'll get into the specifics. I want you to notice verses 1 through 4, the strategy of man. Verse number 5, the survey by God. God comes down to look at what's been built. Verses 6 through 8, the scattering of man. And then verse number 9 is the summary of the whole matter. Now, it's interesting here to note in these nine verses the contrasts that are there. Yes, we've got this particular outline that we gave, but when you look at the beginning verses and the ending verses, there is a tremendous contrast that is given between what man initiates and what God comes down and actually dictates. It's interesting here, verse 1 is set off against verse 9. It mentions the whole earth. It emphasizes the unity of the language. But then what does God do in verse 9? He spreads people out with different languages over the whole earth. Verse number 2 is set against verse number 8. It's interesting here, it shows in verse 2 the people settling in one location. What happens in verse 8? God scatters them abroad. Verses 3 and 4 is set against verse number 7. Verses 3 and 4, we read about the people boasting of their plans. Hey, we're going to build a city. We're going to take this tower. We're going to do this for ourselves. But then verse number 7 shows something totally different. And verse number 5 is the centerpiece of this story. Because in verses 1 through 4, it is man's strategy, his plan. In verses 6 through 8, it is God scattering the people. And right smack dab in the middle is God coming through the centerpiece of all this. So with these introductory thoughts, let's now turn our attention a little further to these verses and get a little more in the specifics of this story. Let's look, first of all, verses 1 through 4, the strategy of man. 
Now, as we look again at verse number 1, the whole earth was of one language. Have you ever thought about what a world would be like without a language barrier? I mean, wouldn't that be nice if Sarah could go down and wouldn't have to worry about learning a language? But here it is, leading up to this chapter, one language throughout the whole earth, nobody asking, hey, can you translate that for me? Can you use sign language? I've been to plenty of countries, and I've used a lot of my own sign language. I'm not sure if it's correct or not, but I've used what I've known here. But notice here that they gather together, mankind, all gathers together. In verse number 2, it says, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. I want you to notice here on the map here, the land of Shinar, if you're familiar with this area here, right where it says the word Shinar is really the country, the modern country of Iraq here. You notice you've got the Euphrates River that is flowing down. So here I just wanted you to give a perspective of what they had. So it is here at this place the people had a plan as they gathered together and they implemented that plan. And what was the plan? It was to build a city. It was to build a tower that would extend to the heavens. And I want you to look at verse number four at what their reasoning was for doing this. Two reasons. First of all, they wanted to make a name for themselves. Now, what does that speak of as far as attitude? Speaks of pride. There's no doubt about it. They wanted everybody on earth to recognize their achievement and know who they were. We're the people that built this tower. They wanted to make a name for themselves instead of making a name for God. And I think it's quite interesting to note here in verse number 3 where it tells us, and and I want you to understand this, God doesn't just have filler verses. He doesn't throw things in there and say, well, I I needed to have a 500-page report that I was going to give here, and so he throws a bunch of words in. God gives something specific here. It says, and they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. It is apparent that probably in this land of Shinar, there was an area where there was no stones that could be used for building the tower, and so they developed and made their own bricks, and they used pitch for the mortar. And so therefore, in them making every bit of the material, they could come back and say, look at what we have done. That's what verse 3 is indicating to me. But second reason why they're building this tower is for this, because they did not want to be scattered upon the face of the earth. Look at it in verse number 4. Now, this attitude that comes forth is a rebellious attitude against God. It's an attitude of disobedience against God because what did God give to mankind right after they stepped off the ark? To Noah and his three sons, it was be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That was an injunction, a command given to them that had been also given to Adam and Eve back in the first chapter of Genesis that they would be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And what did mankind say? We'll be fruitful, we'll multiply, which they did, but we're not going to go to the ends of the earth. We want to gravitate and come together. So in Genesis chapter 11... 
Here's this group of people acting in rebellion, choosing to gather together in blatant disregard for God's command. And really, to further strengthen this argument, you have to think about when God made Adam and Eve, He made them for this purpose to be fruitful and multiply. And in Genesis 1.26, what did He tell them? You're to have dominion. So is God any God against them building a, a, a kingdom at all? No. They're to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over all the beasts and everything. And, and they're to build things. But the problem with these people is they're prideful and they're doing this in rebellion against God. But now notice here in these verses, these first four verses, what they build. It's what we famously call the Tower of Babel. Now here it is, these men coming from Ham and Nimrod, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. They not only desired to build a city, but also a tower with its top to heaven. Now let's consider this idea of heaven. While it's possible that it may not have been the physical height that has been concerned, though I'm not, I'm not ruling that out at all, it could very well be that the people's intentions were to elevate themselves to the level of God, to build something to where, humanly speaking, they felt that they could reach unto God. How interesting it is that the devil from day one has been after people and tempting them with the pride of life. Did he not get Adam and Eve to succumb to temptation to say, look, if you take of this fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be as gods. That temptation of the pride of life with Eve and Adam is also the same temptation that Satan came to Nimrod about. Build a tower that you can reach unto God. How interesting. Now this tower, very interesting not just a tower, but something of a temple. And maybe you're familiar with this idea in the Mesopotamian area of this ziggurat. Ziggurat was a pyramid-like structure which had a temple at the top for worship of a particular god. The structure is very similar possibly to the pyramids that are found throughout Egypt. I've, I've, I've seen a lot of pictures online. This is possible what it could be like. Every... Uh, every particular level now is built on another one as it goes up in a pyramid-like fashion. And so this particular tower is not just something for people to say, hey, let's, let's build something for some engineering uh, 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 ideas. Let, let's, let's build something so people can go look at it and go, well, that's pretty cool. No, the whole idea of them building this was for the religious purposes. They wanted to find a way that they could reach unto God and possibly whatever God it was that they were worshiping, that that God would come down to them. Their religion was no different from the man-made religions of the world today. And you wonder why there's differences here, why we don't associate with certain groups and why we stay clear of certain things, because there are a lot of religious groups that it's a man-made religion. It is man's attempt to reach unto God. That's all seen in the good works. 
But I'm here to tell you what biblical Christianity is all about is God bridging the gap to man. God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross. He came to this earth. He paid for our sins. And it is nothing of ourselves that we are in heaven. It's all of God. That's it. So very interesting here to note this first, these first four verses in the strategy that man has. Now let's look at verse number 5, this centerpiece verse. And let's see the survey by God. Now, there's a lot of people that read verse number 5, and they've almost become confused by it. Why would God have to actually come down to see the structure? Doesn't it seem like it makes God a little bit small, that He's got to actually come down and see this? Well, I want you to understand, this verse actually carries with it two thoughts. First of all, it's what we call an anthropomorphic verse. In other words, it gives us a sense of, of understanding God from human terms. You ever read the psalm that says that the earth is the Lord's footstool? Now, probably if you've read that as a child, you just kind of picture God just sitting back on a lazy boy putting his feet on the earth. I mean, that's what we think of. But it's giving us that, not in the picture of that. That's actually what God is doing. But it gives us a sense of understanding God and the way He rules and what He does. And so this verse is helping us see that, all right, God Himself is coming down to see this, but it is also a verse that actually carries with it some satire, if you will. It's a little bit ironic in how this is all put together. Because think about this for just a moment. From a human standpoint, would you not think when these people got done building this tower, they thought to themselves, wow, look at what we've done. I mean, this is a, an engineering marvel. This is incredible what we've been able to build. And instead, from God's perspective, the project was so small and insignificant that God actually had to come down and say, oh, there it is. There it is. That's the difference that is seen here. And it highlights how terribly short people fall in reaching their goals to try to get unto God because the God of heaven had to come down. I love the way the writer of Isaiah puts it in verses, chapter 40, verse 21 and 23. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Have it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is He, God, that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes... That is, the rulers of this earth to nothing, and He makes the judges of the earth as vanity. That's the God that we serve. We may think in this world, and we may have politicians and world leaders who think they've accomplished great things, but I'm going to just tell you something. God is in control of every aspect of this world. And so what a beautiful thing. Now look at verses 6 through 8. Look at the scattering of man. Now here it says, in one of the verses, it uses the word confound. To confound the languages, which God did, is the idea that God calls the people who were unified with one language to now speak many languages, and by just simply doing that, it divided them. Imagine if you were on the job site that day. And somebody comes over and gives you instructions in a language that you don't even understand. You say, say what? What was that again? 
What are those words that you use? And he's looking at you and he starts putting his hands up like this. It separated the people. And clearly what God is doing here in these verses is really an act of judgment. Because the people, why were they unified in this way? They were unified for evil and therefore God came down and broke up that unity and caused them to have disunity. No longer were they able to communicate to build their city and temple and therefore they were dispersed. So I want you to think about something. If you ever have opportunity, if the United Nations meets together and you see these people with their headsets on, so that way they can understand what people are speaking in other languages, know that God is exalted over proud man. That God began that here in Genesis chapter number 11. Now, I want you to understand something. God's not opposed to progress. That's not what the story is. Sometimes people walk away from Genesis 11 and they go, well, God doesn't care about building things. He doesn't. No, no. God is all into people accomplishing things, but it must be, whatever it is that you do, it must be for God's glory, not yours. And what we see in Genesis 11, everything was for them, not for God. So how powerful, really, these things are. But now look at, look at verse number 9, the summary of the matter. Here's the origin of languages. Here's the migration of people all over the world. Here's the establishment of nations. All of it begins here. It is God's doing. It's important to remind ourselves how to go through and rightly interpret this passage. The problem, again, was not a building project. The the problem was not a common language. It was the arrogant defiance of God's clear command. How do you know that? Look at verses 3 to 4. Notice as I emphasize these words. They said one to another, go to, next two words. Thank you, Brother Joe. Let's get everybody involved. All right. Verse number 3, Genesis 11, just in case you fell asleep for just a moment. All right. Come back. Genesis 11, verse number 3. Everybody look at it. They said one to another, go to, next two words. Let us. All right. Notice here, verse number 4. They said, go to, next words. Let us. Notice here, whose top may reach into heaven. And next two words, let us. And then we see in the next phrase, lest we. Four times, the emphasis is on them. Pride. Pride. As I conclude this tonight, you and I have been able to see the plan of man, the ultimate plan of God. But I want to give four simple lessons that we can walk away with. Now, honestly, these four lessons each could be a sermon in themselves. But tonight I'm just going to throw these out and I'm going to let you go home. And as Brother Keith Scheffler says, I want you to noodle these things around in your mind, okay? Number one, lessons to be learned from this story. Humbly follow God's will. Did you get that? Humbly follow God's will. Let me make it even simpler. In this life, you are either going to pridefully follow your way or you're going to humbly follow God's way. Babel, what we read about here, was Nimrod's project. This man, introduced to us in chapter 10, wanted to build an empire that was in defiance of God. And even in his pride, he makes all sorts of excuses as to why it's okay. 
hey, we don't want the people scattered abroad. We want to make a name to ourselves. Probably it came through. Look, if we're unified, we're better. We can make this world better for ourselves. It all sounded very good, except that there was one equation that was missing. It was God. Always keep God in your plans and humbly follow His will. Number two, unity must be based on truth. This is important. In fact, this could be two or three sermons. Unity must be based on truth. What's happened with far too many Christians in our general Christianity is unity is the buzzword of today. I hear people say, you know, there's too much division in this world amongst churches and amongst religions. And I understand that to a certain degree, there is some disunity that probably should not take place. There are church splits that shouldn't happen. But I am here to tell you that there is a disunity and is for good biblical reasons. Because unity must be based on truth. What truth is that? The truth of the Word of God. And tonight I'm here to say to you that as a Baptist church that believes the Bible and holds to the truths of God's Word, that we here tonight are careful about who we associate with and who we partner together with. Because we want to make sure that those that we partner together and work together have the common goals and the common biblical principles that we hold to. There's a lot of churches here in this town alone who don't believe that the Bible is inspired of God. There's a lot of churches that are around the area that do not believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Now, let me just tell you something. How impossible would it be to team up with a group of people who say, well, we're going to evangelize our area, but yet within there you have some who might say, well, this is the way to be saved. And a group says, well, this is the way to be saved. While we hold to the biblical truth that Jesus is the only way of salvation, it's by faith. Let me just tell you, it would be a mixed message. So sometimes people who come to churches such as this say, you know, you guys are just a little fuddy-duddy, you're just a little too strict, you're a little wired too much on this whole thing. I want to just tell you something. We're just trying to hold to the truths of Scripture. That's all we're trying to do. And it's important that we do that. Truth, true unity can only occur in Jesus Christ. And it's important that we must separate ourselves from those who deny the truth. You read 2 John. You read 3 John. It will make it very clear. Number three, man's attempt at globalism is not good. I want you to get a hold of this truth. This city, this city of Babel, along with its tower, would in the course of time become the prototypical city of man and the antitype to the city of God called Babylon, this city called Babylon. Babel here becomes Babylon over the course of time. Now remember, it was Babylon that Israel actually was taken into captivity and then brought out again. 
In the Scriptures, Babylon stands for all that opposes God. Just go to the book of Revelation. Read Revelation 14, Revelation 17, Revelation 18. Those three chapters very specifically will tell you about Babylon and the end times. Where has our world constantly been going to? This whole global sense where the world comes together as one world government. It's been amazing how many times politicians have talked about that. You just go to Europe and see this unified uh, uh, alliance here of European states. You see what's happening here. Just And, and I don't pl- preach a lot politically, but let me just say there is a big thing in the last several years in our country of politicians, whether you are more global or you're more national. And I want to tell you something, that there is a harm in the sense of this global, because everything that comes together globally, when you read Revelation, what is it? The Antichrist taking rulership, one world government. So be careful of that. Last thing, and this is, I save the best for last. The plan of God for the nations of the earth is unfolded throughout Scripture. I want you to do me a favor. Turn to chapter 12 of the book of Genesis. I want you to see here in this last point how the gospel is to be given to all nations and how you and I have a part in that. You say, well, Pastor, I thought it was a curse. Well, there was a curse to a certain degree for those people because of their pride. But there's a good thing, a good outcome, and you and I have an involvement in this because the gospel is going to get to all nations. Look at chapter number 12. Now, here's what happens. Remember the three sons that we've discussed here of Noah and how the nations come out of them and the various places that they go to. Well, Ham doesn't get discussed much past chapter 11. Neither does Japheth. But where's the emphasis now in the Old Testament? It's on Shem. And I pointed out last week that one of the sons here of Shem is in chapter 12 here. There's a man by the name of Abram. God selects Abram. Now look at verse number 12, or chapter 12, verse number 2. Here's what God tells Abram. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. But notice verse 3. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Or we could even read this, it's not doing any injustice, even the nations of the earth will be blessed because of Abram. Why is that? Because out of Abram, through his line here, will come the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, a descendant of Abraham who lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross, paid for our sins, and therefore all who believe in Jesus, what are we today for being born again? We are truly blessed of God because of that descendant of Abram. But now I want you to notice something a little further about this whole plan, and that is there's the proclamation that you and I have to all the nations. Do me a favor, turn to the book of Matthew, if you would, please. The book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, very quickly. I'm just going to highlight some of these verses. Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 19 and 20. You you know these verses well. This is a great commission. But look at what it says here. Go ye therefore and teach what? All nations. Interesting. 
Every person of... You say, well, uh, should we not go to that nation? No. God wants the gospel to every nation. What's beautiful is some nations that have been close to us, the Zerises have been able to use the radio ministry to have some influence in there. All nations were to get the gospel to. Look at Luke, if you would. Turn over to two other books, the Gospel of Luke, where we were this morning, chapter number 24. Again, another expounding of the Great Commission here, Luke 24, verse 47. It says, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. Notice these next three words, among all nations. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I won't turn there, but what does the Bible tell us? That we're to take the gospel to our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. What do you think that's talking about? All these nations were to get the gospel to. So you and I are to proclaim the gospel for all these nations. Now you say, is God really concerned about all these nations? Absolutely. Because after Jesus ascended, after he gave these words of the proclamation, he told his disciples, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And guess what happens on that day of Pentecost? That day of Pentecost, I want you to go, if you will, just look at this in Acts chapter 2, please. Acts chapter number 2, look at verse number 4. The Bible says, and there were all these people waiting there on this day of Pentecost, were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. But look at verse number 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out out of, notice this, out of every nation under heaven. And now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because Every man heard them speak in his own language. You know what God did? A miracle on this day. All these nations gathered together in Jerusalem on this special day of Pentecost. They're all speaking different languages. And God allows them to hear the gospel in their language. Man, that's powerful. But let me summarize it with this. And that is that at the end of days in the book of Revelation, we read in Revelation chapter 5, verse number 9, that there is a whole host of people that are saved out of every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And they're brought together to worship God. So what we read in Genesis 11, yes, it is a curse to those people because of their pride and they're dispersed abroad in all these languages and we think to ourselves, wow, what a mess. But God selects one particular son to have a descendant by the name of Abram and then through Abram is brought a son by the name of Jesus Christ. He is the son of God and he came to die on the cross to pay for sins and now he's inviting us to Share that good news with all the nations of the world, regardless of the language they speak, regardless of what dialect they have, to get that gospel out. And the beauty is that God will bring people together who have been saved, and all of us at that final day with one tongue and one language and one voice will worship God. What a powerful thing God is doing. This origin of languages, this dispersing of people to these various nations is a curse for those people, but you and I have a job. That's why we're sending Sarah. 
That's why we're supporting the Zerises. That's why we have almost 50 missionaries that we support, and we're encouraging people. There's more missionaries that are constantly calling, but I'm just telling you something. What a wonderful day when we stand there in heaven, and all of these people with one voice are worshiping God. Powerful. Powerful. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the message of the Word of God. Help us, Lord, to be faithful at getting the gospel out.